Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this is what God says about anyone who trusts in his own good works to make himself beautiful before God. Looks, God looks at the good works of man, and God says, filthy, they make you unclean. And this is a major deception today among people who they think that their good works are gonna save them. They think they're described in Proverbs 14.12, Proverbs 14.12, which says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a deception that good works are gonna give a person eternal life. That's wrong. That's just wrong, that's fatally wrong. Because the Bible could not make it any clearer when the Lord Jesus said in uh, John 3.36, John 3.36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on. And to really properly understand what he's saying there, there's a little word that appears after the word believeth, and it's been translated as on, believeth on. The Greek word ice. It's so critical to understand in this verse that it, the understanding of what that word means, ice, makes the difference between having eternal life or being cast into hell, which happens to billions of people. Most people today think that what the Lord Jesus was saying uh, by that word, ice, they think that he was saying, in the fact of, in the fact of. People today have the fatal deception that the Lord Jesus was saying in John 3.36 he that believeth in the fact of the Son hath eternal life. You know, just recently out at the border, a border, border patrol agent was going through my stuff, and he came across my testimony book, and she said, oh, I believe in God. What she meant was that she was not an atheist, that she believed that there was a God. That is believing in the fact of God. That could also be extended to a person confessing a statement of faith, saying, I believe in this, I believe in the Bible as the inspired, only infallible, authoritative word of God. I believe there's one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ in his virgin birth and his sinless life and his miracles, his vicarious atoning death through his shed blood and his bodily resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of the Father and his personal return in glory and power. And many people do believe that. And they think that what the Lord Jesus was saying by the word ice in John 3.36 is that all you need to do is believe those statements and you've got it, you've got eternal life. But the problem is James 2.19, James 2.19, which says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Problem is, in all those statements, is that they're true, but the demons believe those true statements also. They don't have eternal life. 
Because that little word ice in John 3.38, it doesn't mean in the facts of the Son. The best translation for the word ice in John 3.38 and others is the word into, into. So the verse would read in John 3.36, he that believeth into the Son hath everlasting life. And it raises the question of what does that mean to believe into? To believe into means to come to the Son it means to come to him, not just to believe about him, but to come to him, as you said in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. He came into the world, he said in John 12.46, John 12.46, I am come a light into the world. That was his move. He came. He came to us, and now each person has to make their own decision. Are they gonna come to him? Like it says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own. His own received him not. In other words, he came into his own. His own didn't come to him. To come to him is to receive him, to take to heart what he was saying there about all that, about the physician and those that have need, like you said in Mark 2.17, that are whole, have no need of physician. They, they're sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In order for a person to receive him, a person has to come to him as a sick person, a person who's sick with sin, a person who's sick from being dirty, rotten sinner. And to emphasize how a person has to come to him for eternal life, he uses this analogy between a patient and a physician. And a person goes to a doctor, the doctor just has one all-important question before he starts anything, and that question is what? How do you feel? What's wrong with you? What seems to be the problem? <laughs> What's your sickness? Or sometimes the doctor will say, how can I help you? Right? As you first meet a doctor, Unless you've gone to the doctor a lot of time, he doesn't have to ask, he knows what's wrong with you. This is a question the physician wants to know first. And so just picture a person who comes to the doctor, he asks them, what seems to be problem? What's wrong with you? What's your sickness? How can I help you? And the person says, nothing. I'm perfectly fine. I'm as healthy as can be. I don't have any need of healing. The Lord uses that as an analogy. He says when a person comes to the Lord Jesus and starts to tell him about all the good that he's done, I'm gonna say to him, then he says, well, why are you here? And that's what happened. When he said in Matthew 7:22, Matthew 7:22, he describes many, many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not?" In other words, Lord, we have prophesied in Thy name. We preached in Your name, and in Thy name we cast out many devils. We have preached out many devils in Your name, and I ain't done many wonderful works. We have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, "I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity." Coming to the doctor and you're telling him all the good things that you've done? He says, look, I came with the physician. I came to heal the sick. I came to heal the sinners. I came to cure that disease. The problem is that those people said nothing about having been a dirty, rotten sinner who came to him to be saved from their sins. So when Israel sees that they're closed in these filthy rags of their own good works, and they're gonna respond to God's call, they're gonna wake up, put on the garments, and when they do, which are God's garments, of righteousness and salvation, they're gonna be so happy. It says in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, they're gonna be so happy. In Isaiah 45.24, Isaiah 45.24, it says, surely one shall say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. And then the next verse, in the Lord shall all Israel, the seed of Israel, be justified and shall glory. 
The hymn puts it so well. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds and these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. So what's gonna happen is that when all Israel abandons, and that's what they must do, abandons their own righteousness and their strength and takes the Lord's righteousness and Lord's strength, when that happens, then Romans 5, 9 is gonna happen for them. Romans 5, 9, justified by his blood. That'll be the time when all Israel will be, as it says in Romans eleven twenty six. Romans eleven twenty six. all Israel shall be saved. That's gonna be a time when Israel's gonna be sort of like Lazarus, Lazarus in the tomb, and the Lord Jesus calls him to life in John eleven forty three. Eleven forty three. And when he thus said, spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him, let him go. That's what's gonna happen to Israel. That was the picture there of Israel. Israel, just like Lazarus, Israel is raised from the dead, just like the Lord Jesus said to Lazarus, loose him, let him go. In the second verse in this chapter, Isaiah 52.2, Isaiah 52.2, it says, shake thyself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So this is a great transition that's gonna happen for Israel. They're gonna go from death to life. They're gonna go from darkness to light. They're gonna go from wandering to adoption. They're gonna go from being lost to being saved. And when is that gonna happen? It's all tied up for Israel. It's all tied up in the name of God. It's all tied up on what the name of God is. Today for Israel, it's this day of death and darkness and wandering and being lost because today is a day, as it says in our chapter, Isaiah 52.5 and verse five, Isaiah 52.5, it says, my name continually every day is blaspheme. The important words to see in that verse are every day is, every day is. That means that that's speaking about today and it's the here and now of today. And today, the name of Jesus is blasphemed as a swear word. And today, the name of Jesus Christ is blasphemed as a cuss word. And that's what sets the people today in this state of death, darkness, wandering, and being lost. All because of what Israel does not know in terms of what the name of God is today. And that's because of what they do with the name of Jesus Christ today. But the great change from death to life, from darkness to light, from wandering to adoption, from being lost to being saved, all happens in the future of Isaiah 52.6. Isaiah 52.6 that says, therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak, behold, it is I. So the important words to see in that verse are the words shall and in that day because those words tell us that it's coming. This is not the state today, this is the state that will happen in the future and the great change will happen in that day. Every time Israel calls God Hashem, but if you looked, that's what the Rabbi Goldstein called God from Poway, very common. Every day Israel calls God Hashem, which means the name, I view it, and I've told them this, as a personal, true, honest confession that they don't know the name of God. And they just call God 
Hashem, or the name, as in whatever his name is. But Isaiah 52, 6, verse 6, when this happens, Israel is going to no longer call God the name. They're no longer call God Hashem as a confession of not knowing what God's name is because it says in verse 6, my people shall know my name, Isaiah 52, 6. My people shall know my name, therefore shall know on that day that I am he that doth speak, behold it is I. See, in that day, there's just going to be this tremendous transition when Israel is going to transition from being lost to being saved, and this happens when Israel will know that the name of God is Jesus Christ. And that day, Israel's gonna know that the name of God is Jehovah Jesus. In that day, Israel's gonna know that the name of their creator God is Jesus, that the name of their preserver God is Jesus. In that day, Israel's gonna know that Jesus is the great I am, of the Exodus 3 burning bush, where God first revealed this name of Jehovah to Moses. So Israel's salvation is all tied up in their understanding that the name of God is Jesus. Jesus is the great name that brings salvation. As it says in Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Israel's salvation is all tied up in their understanding that the wonderful name of God is Jesus. And that's why I emphasize to the Jewish people the name the Lord Jesus Christ, even though I know it's not welcomed. I know, and I've been asked on more than one occasion, not put that name on the testimony book that they distribute. I know it's hard to accept the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's healing in that name. There's healing because it says in Song of Solomon 1-3, one three, Song of Solomon one three. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. The word ointment it means to make soft, to make soft. So ointment transforms a hard heart into a soft heart, a tender heart. The name of Jesus has the power to transform a hard heart to a tender heart. That's why the name of Jesus is so important. That's why Israel is saved when they follow in the steps of Paul, who said, "I am a pattern." to Israel that, that after we'll believe. And, and what happened to him is when he learned the name in Acts 9.4, Acts 9.4, this is Paul's testimony. He said he fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. This is the question, this is the question, and this is the answer for Israel that will mark the nation becoming born in one day. As it says in Isaiah 66 8, Isaiah 66 8, a nation be born at once. This is going to happen when the nation of Israel asks the same question that paused in Acts 9 5 Who art thou, Lord? In other words, who really are you, God? And the back will come the answer to them in Act 9-5, I am Jesus. And this is what is meant by Isaiah 52-7, Isaiah 52-7, when it says, behold, it is I. Israel will know that it's Jesus who is saying, behold, it is I. That's a very um, special Hebrew statement there, when it says, behold, it is I, because it's the statement, hineni, hineni. Normally, in the Bible, a man says that to God. You never find God saying hineni, but you find it here. 
because normally the meaning of hineni is at your service, at your service, I'm here to serve you. That's what Abraham said to God when he said, Abraham, Abraham, he was, a rather, he was about to kill Isaac. He said, hineni, here I am, at your service. So here God is saying to Israel, hineni, at your service. Why? Because the Lord Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve the needs of sinful man. And he said that in Matthew 20, 28, Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Another way to put that is that the Lord Jesus came and said, Hineni, I'm here at your service. God came in the flesh to be the Hineni, to save man by giving his life a ransom for many. So this is the theme of Isaiah 52, is Israel waking up out of their death sleep to a new strength, to a new clothing, to a new realization of what the name of God really is. And this is the salvation of the Jewish people. This is when they worship Jesus as God. This will be the time of Israel's restoration. And until that, we work in Israel restoration ministry until that day has come. And which is why there is these words, these all important words, in that day in Isaiah 52, 6, they shall know in that day that I am he. So all of this is what's being described in these Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3. When Israel comes to God as their need, and they know they're a dirty, rotten sinner, Matthew 5.3, because remember, Matthew's written to the Jewish people, Matthew 4.3, they will be poor in spirit. And their, so their sin will make them poor in spirit. And their sin will drive them to the fourth verse, Matthew 5.4, they that mourn. And their sin will make them, the fifth verse, meek. And their sin will make them, verse six, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then they're saved and become those, in verse seven, who obtain mercy, and the blood of Jesus makes them, verse eight, pure in heart. Now, the first order of business after this happens is verse nine, they become peacemakers. So in Isaiah 52, right after Israel is saved, they become peacemakers, and that's the verse seven, Isaiah 52, seven, 52, seven, which says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publish the peace, that bring good tidings of good, that publish salvation, says to Zion, thy God reigneth. So here's the city of Jerusalem that this happens. It's in total ruins. Here's the world, it's in ruins. And at this point, it's like, look, look, here comes a messenger. He's got a great news. He's got good news. And he's so welcomed that his feet are called beautiful. Now, why would you call somebody's feet beautiful? Because feet walk. Because feet come. Because feet carry the person with good news. It's the news of salvation. It's the news that God reigns. It's the news that not just learn that the name of God is Jesus, but now they've also know Revelation 11.15, Revelation 11.15, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's good news. And Israel proclaims this to the world, and Israel proclaims that the Savior of man, the Lord Jesus, is reigning now as the King of kings and the King of the world. And their first order of business is this uh, Isaiah 52, 7, Isaiah 52, 7, go tell, go tell. And this is gonna be shocking for the world. They're gonna look at that and they're say, are those Jewish people? <laughs> are they the ones that are really doing all this? They're peacemaking? You can bet that the world's gonna say, look, because here comes the Jewish messengers and they got great news. And what's the good news? That thy God, the Lord Jesus, is reigning. And they know that. That's the good news. Because of that, they're then peacemakers. 
Well, how are they peacemakers? Because what they're proclaiming, this is happening in Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52, but which then is the next step is Isaiah 53, and they're proclaiming that Jesus in Isaiah 53.5, Isaiah 53.5, he's the one who was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes were healed. So they're proclaiming that the wounds and the bruises of Jesus were for our transgressions and iniquities and how he took the chastisement or the punishment that we deserved all for one purpose so that we could have peace. And so it's the cross, it's the cross that, they're proclaiming because it's the peace with God that comes from the cross. They're proclaiming this peace with God that is spoken about in Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. They're proclaiming this peace with God that comes from the result of being justified. Justification, as it says in Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming how finally the time has come when truth and mercy can get together. This is the truth that the sinner must be judged for his sins. This is the mercy that the sinner needs to be saved from the judgment of his sins. And they're proclaiming Psalm 8510, Psalm 8510, that happened at the cross where it says in Psalm 8510, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other as peacemakers, they're traveling near and far to people who are far from God. They're far from the Lord Jesus. And it's a message, Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. They're peacemakers. And when people and angels, they look at them, what do they say about them? They say, they're the children of God. That's the children of God right there. Matthew 5, 9, 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Who's calling them that? Other men and angels. And if you ask them, if they see themselves as children of God, they'd say, yes. We see ourselves as children of God because they would say the words of 2 Corinthians 5, 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Like Jim was saying, peacemaker is a reconciler. For he hath made him to be the sin offering for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Their message is the cross and the peace with God that the cross brings. And they're the peacemakers. That's why they're the peacemakers. And they're called the children of God. Why are they called the children of God? Are they called the children of God because they're loved by God? No. Are they called the children of God because they, God likes them? No. The reason they're called the children of God is because they're so close to God, and they're called the children of God. And they're so close to God, they have such a close fellowship with God that they have the heart of God. They do the works of God, and they're called the children of God. That's what makes them the children of God. They spend time with God. They depend on God. Life is so different for them because they're depending on God instead of worry, they're depending. And that's why they're called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers in the context of Israel Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for saving. Lord, thank you so much for not giving up on man, on us, on Israel. Lord, when we went into such sins that it made us dirty and rotten, and you stepped in and said, you put on that physician's coat, 
and you said, I can help you. And thank you, Lord, for the day that's coming when the nation of Israel will be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 